Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Sprackle Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Koi White. Episode two will actually be released in two parts because it was a very deep dive with a good friend and mentor of mine named Sean Michael. That is his first name. It is spelled C-H-A-U-N. Sean was one of the most effective advisors and mentors that I met throughout the process of trying to build Sprackle as a tech company, which again, story for another day. But when it came down to it, probably 80% of all of the useful advice I got that summer on how to be productive and just get out of your own way came from Sean solely, which is amazing. But through the process of recording and editing this podcast, I realized that this podcast for Sean and I served as sort of a reversed opportunity as to what I would have expected. Most of the time, I sort of expect podcasts to be my justification for really digging into the weeds of like process and philosophy for people that I admire. For Sean, it actually gave me the chance to come out of that and really start to take a deep dive in some of the crazy stories he had alluded to that I knew would be too long to unpack in passing conversation. When we recorded this episode, it wasn't quite clear, but it looked like he would be moving to the West Coast soon. And I just knew Sean enough to know that these stories would be worth sitting down and unpacking over a cup of lukewarm mushroom water. And that's exactly what I did. I went up to his house while he still lived in uh, Westchester, New York, and I spent the night and in the morning we got up, set the laptop and the mic up and recorded this episode of the podcast. So in the most thorough way imaginable, it is my utmost pleasure to introduce to you, Sean Michael. Medeiros. Welcome, Sushan, yes. to uh, what has been rebranded now as a prototype podcast from the Polymath podcast into the Sprackle podcast. Yeah, I did um, like the name Polymath, but I, I think it was, it, it was also taken by some crypto company, I think. But Well, yeah, but it also, it was in this sort of dilemma where I either had to pick people that were really through and through from birth Polymaths that did like ridiculously diverse stuff at a high level mm. and like the name had a lot of meaning then but and just have no guests potentially to interview or make it p- p- just particularly meaningless and just like oh you're tech you know you're kind of a polymath because like you drive a car and breathe and you know and so it really narrows it down yeah so <laughs> um but sprackle uh is a word that i picked up from the uk and it basically means to awkwardly clamber upward. Clamber means. So that's what it, it actually means. That's then. what it actually means. Wow. I, see, I had no idea. You were just, you are saying the word sprackle, and now I finally understand the inspiration. Yeah. So before I had sort of adapted it as an explanation for another project, and I called it like awkwardly stumbling around, mm. but that actually wasn't completely like 100% fidelity definition. So for the podcast, it actually works better. Um, cool. Clambering upwards, meaning essentially climbing. It's, right. you know, Scottish, Glaswegian, I believe. And, um, dude, sounds like life. It works for our, works for our purposes. Yeah. I, I've got a nice, refreshing cup of mushroom um, and water. And this is lion's mane, you said? Lion's mane and water, yeah. Lion's mane and water. Lion's mane and room temperature water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Lukewarm disappointment. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, but it's healthy, right? It tastes very healthy. I've just do it for health. You okay, do it for health. Yeah, for sure. you don't do it. Don't do it for anything else. A little bit of context. Um, I met Sean through a creator group led by one of those just otherworldly networkers uh, from Germany. It was a mutual friend of ours named Finn. And uh, to put Finn's ability to get people together in perspective, summer of what was that twenty eighteen? That would have been so summer twenty eighteen. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, from 
probably April through September or so, there was this small conglomerate of like aspiring creatives in New York with video and content creation, very like sort of Gary V cultish. And, um, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was, it yeah. was awesome, but it was like, yeah. there was definitely a bit of group thing that was happening, but not necessarily detrimental on all fronts. Um, in a lot of ways, it just helped everyone sort of keep morale. Yeah. As they were going through all their self experimentation, I suppose. But, um, but a lot of people have gone on to do some crazy stuff since then. Gabe DeSanti worked with like months for Dan Mace, who yeah. was a partner with Casey Neistat and like traveled the world there. I think he still does some freelancing for him, but now he's mostly moved to. He's doing his own thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy though. Super. Honestly, he's super talented and yeah. he works, he works pretty hard. Yeah. The last time yeah. I saw him while he was working primarily with Dan, he looked like he was half dead. Yeah. And he had just flown back from like Japan or, or China or something. And the next day he was going to India and he just looked like he hadn't seen an hour of sleep in like a week. And <laughs> I'm sure he had, but it just wasn't particularly deep. Yeah. And then, uh, another note where, graduate of last summer was Adrian Vazquez Vazquez Adrian Vlogs yeah and um, he's now the primary content creator for Ryan Serhant in it's pretty cool the city Finn has since gone back to Germany um, and started sort of a I believe a consultant agency based thing there uh, a guy named Tommy is doing a podcast and apparently making some big moves with that um Jay was a photographer that was freelancing. There's like 30 people, so I'm not going to name everyone, unfortunately. But then um, I sort of fell on my face after that summer and have been trying to get back up to that. And then you started a backpack startup. You moved more into video freelance stuff. It's true. Um, All true. You recently had a lot of inflection points in life, and I definitely want to talk about those at some point. Cool. But we met through that about midsummer, and we pretty much like, clicked instantly um i visited you in upstate new york at your old job upstate it's so funny yeah. westchester yeah is that it's, upstate no, i don't know not, okay dude. it's like eight more hours of oh. new york. <laughs> I, i'm from florida new york is upstate it's up like coast country continent but um we showed up and i brought my my good friend uh will Who's actually like a new good friend of the time. I'd only known him like a month or two longer than I'd known you when I met you. Right. And we came up there and filmed some like. like it was really fun. It was, was a awesome. surprisingly awesome montage that we got out of that. Yeah. And we got uh, some sick shots. Use the boosted board. Yep. Launched at your car, which was a fun moment. Oh, yeah. I got stuck under a car. Will nearly crashed into it yeah. when, when the brakes stopped. It was a good time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we just sort of stayed in touch. Like a lot of that crew sort of fell out of, of, yeah, um, and that's true. Uh, like I, after, lost, I lost touch with most of that, but the, and it kind of feels like high school and college, mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of people that we don't keep in touch with that we used to see all the time. Yeah. Um, but and I'm very appreciative. Few. Yeah, exactly. It's like the people that matter the most or, you know, uh, are the ones that stick around. So yeah. it's pretty cool. And, um, the, the point I was going to make was like once Finn left, it was like oh, 30 yeah. attendees to that Starbucks in Union Square on the west side of Union Square. And it went from 30 to two. Yeah. And then it never recovered. And yeah. it died pretty much like two weeks after. Yeah. Um, and it's gone. So Finn come back and started that because that was a fun summer. But, you know, <laughs> thankful for the people that we met. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, so you've you've gone through a lot of stuff. You were initially like a giant source of inspiration and guidance and 
frankly just hope for me when I was on my own Sprackle through Sprackle, the tech company, which is a story for another day. But um, well, you, thank you pretty much every that. actionable piece of advice that I got executed and saw a positive outcome from was like directly from you and something I did the day after you told me to. Because I had gone into thank theory. You. I'm a very like theory. I my my vice is theory and books and stuff. Mm, yeah, because it will. I can go on that rabbit hole forever without actually doing any work. <laughs> and eventually, you're like, "Have you made an alpha?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's just the most important thing is just to do something. It's, we can read forever, but uh, I was listening to something recently about knowledge and how knowledge doesn't. It, knowledge is great, but knowledge is not power. Mm-hmm. It gives you the opportunity to do something. So that's I don't know. At the end of the day, it's what you do. Yeah. No, so. but so backstory for you because I have a loose sort of understanding of right. what it was with yeah. your startups and stuff. Uh-huh. I know about the music startup. Right. I know loosely the story of how that went and ended. And yeah. <laughs> like I'm still like the story is always still amazing. Um, even though like maybe in your perception it wasn't, but like to me it's almost more impressive than like all the ridiculous ones that you hear about. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, we had two more before that, right? Honestly, I've done a lot of different things. So <laughs> to narrow it down, let's see. Um, I've been a part of several apps, which is cool. I would say, so I'm 26 years old. I've been uh, trying to do entrepreneurial things since I'd say around 20-ish, maybe 21. And I remember 21 was when I did my first pitch competition final year of college and it was on an idea that I was working on with a friend of mine. It was for parolees to help him get reassimilated back into society. And it was really fun. We really liked the concept. We had some parole officers on board that were willing to help us or giving us some data, which was sick. And I was in this class called the DAP me lab class. What that stands for is design and agile project management lab. And it was kind of a, a long it was a long name, but there's some keywords in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was, but it was fun. So a little bit of backstory on this is that, uh, and I, I want to highlight this cause I, I think I learned a lot from this experience. Um, so the class itself, I didn't do, I didn't realize there was an application you had to take seriously. So I thought it was just like a questionnaire and then you're in the class. So I was like, all right, I fill this questionnaire <laughs> and I totally did not, put in the right amount of effort required for it. So I got rejected from the class. And then uh, I find out afterwards that it's actually like a pretty big deal, this application. I was like, oh, crap, I totally dropped the ball. So I you thought I it was like show, the entrance survey. Yeah, I, I was like, OK, it's like little context of who you are, or whatever. And then uh, and you just you're in the class. I was totally wrong. So I just show up to the class anyway, and I just keep showing up until I get in. And uh, I was maybe one of a couple people that did that. There were over 40 people on the wait list for the class. But and so was, were you showing up was that like showing talking up. to people to like, hey, I was just, you know, circling back about whether or not. I yeah, was- I, was, I was going up to the professor. I was telling him, I was like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I, I totally didn't realize the, the significance of the application. Never really recovered that relationship, mm. uh, I will say. However, I did get into the class eventually, which was great. So once I was officially in the class, there was a pitch competition coming up that I did not know about. And uh, on 
One day he had one of his friends that's a professor come in to share and she was like a VC and she was helping to organize this pitch competition. And she says, "Okay, so the pitch competition is tomorrow. We have a couple open spots for anyone that can get up and give a pitch right now. And the best will take the best one or two. And this is before glow. Um, No. It's oh, not. okay. So you yeah. had you had a bit of a yeah. Like, I've I've had some. Is it was Afterglow? Yes. Okay. So uh, it was really funny. So I was not prepared for this pitch for one, but I got up there and there were maybe eight to ten people that pitched, and they voted that my my pitch was the best. So I got to go to the pitch competition the next day. So I'm from not being in this class to barely getting into the class to all of a sudden having this opportunity to pitch randomly. I pitch, do well, and then I go in and I have this pitch competition the next day. And did you have an idea like sort of simmering that you pulled out for that? Or did you come up with it for the sake of the I had actually written a business plan for it, oh, but okay, I never so pitched it. This is my first time pitching it. Fortune favors repaired. <laughs> yeah. So I had a business plan for it. It was the first time I'd ever written a business plan. And then I go in, I do that pitch totally off script, unprepared. And then the next day was the pitch competition. I go up I pitch, they ask me questions, answer, I sit back down, I'm like shaking. I was like, wow, did it go well? I have no idea. Like, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. And then I get called up and I won. I won money. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is freaking incredible. Like, I just won some money. I've never won money before. Like... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be like a great phenomenal entrepreneur. Yeah. And so uh, all of a sudden, like I I'm holding this. And it's so cool because when I was a kid, I would see like on TV, I was I was a golfer, and I'd see they used to hold the giant checks. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, athletes would hold yeah. this giant mega check, and I'm holding this huge like poster board check, and it, they take my picture. I never got that picture, which I'm bummed about. But they took my picture. And I was like, wow, this feels incredible. And uh, by the way. Are those checks real? Yeah, they're real. So you you carry this? Yeah, no, 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 no. They they they, uh, they are real, but I didn't get to keep that one. They sent they sent me another one. Oh, okay. They ended up they ended up um yeah they sent me like a receipt of uh like they wired it they wired the money to me. But like if you so chose to yeah you, it's, you could it's take legit. in yeah yeah that's amazing you could, you could. it's legit so, so i guess they present it they void it and then they send you another one or like wire oh uh, i guess they yeah so they, they just sent me like a, a receipt saying that it was transferred and then i just i just saw it in my cool. account I've always it was cool that. it was pretty <laughs> it's so funny i was i couldn't i couldn't believe the uh like the events that how it all lined up to that moment and um that feeling of like that vic the victorious moment when yeah. i'm on stage and i'm holding this check they're taking my picture people are clapping I'm like yes this is it <laughs> and uh and this story takes a turn where um it was interesting because that was also probably one of the most lonely times of my life no just in general yeah well actually no oh So what happened was I was so happy. I thought I had finally like succeeded. It felt like success. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're a college student, I guess, well, I don't know. For me, when I was a college student, I didn't know what that was. And so going through that, I felt this sense of significance that I felt like I didn't have before. And 
when I walked away, I'm like looking for my friends and I'm looking for, you know, I, I expected that because I just did this, that I'd have friends there to that it bumps up. Like, yeah, everything's it, different now because yeah. this watershed moment is like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like I was expecting that friends would be there to support me and say like, Oh, congratulations, dude. That's amazing. I can't believe you did that. And then I just, I, I walk off stage and no one's there. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I'll just call my friends. I call my friends. They're all busy. No one's there. And then I end up going back to my room like, oh, my gosh, I have so much energy. I feel amazing. And then I just spent the entire night alone. There was absolutely no one available to spend any like spend time with me. I felt like I had no one to share the experience with. Mm -hmm. What was important there was that I realized that uh, those moments where I feel like super happy or those moments when I feel like I accomplished something mean pretty much nothing if you don't have anyone to share it with. Or for me, when I didn't have anyone to share it with, I literally ended up playing my guitar in my room for like five or six hours. And I was like crying and I felt so I felt so sad. I was like, I don't understand. I'm in this incredible moment where I feel like, you know, two days ago, I didn't even know I was going to do this. Yesterday was the first time I ever pitched this company. Today, I pitched it in front of this huge audience, like a full a full auditorium, and I did great, and I won. Mm-hmm. And here I am, crying in my bedroom, playing my guitar. And you don't strike me outwardly as, like, much of a crier. Do I, were you going through rough not. times in general, or was that, like, the first time in, like, years that you... See, had... I didn't know I was going through a rough time. Oh, and that was sort of... Because the reason I asked is because I've been... I think it was Rock that told me this, and Rock, for context, is my birth dad. Long yeah. story, adopted birth, know both parents. Um, good relationships with them. They gave yeah. me a lot of advice. So Rock has told me, I, I think it was him, that he has a theory about crying, which is that when you cry, it is a representation that your worldview has been broken so much that you just don't know what to do with it. Like there's no connection that you can make to bridge it, to make it make sense. So in mm. that moment, like all of your expectations or whatever else, yeah, like snaps definitely in an irreparable way. And that's what causes the like push over to crying. Yeah. So do you think it was like you were sort of, aspirations going into it or like your what you would idolize as success looking like up to that point and then like when you realize like nope this is just as like this is this isn't what i thought it would be maybe i think it was a lot of different things Hmm. i think it was uh, a lot of trying to understand what i actually want out of life for one what do i find meaning in for two uh three community a sense of community what is that what does that really mean because whatever i thought it was clearly wasn't you know um and for looking back it was probably a lot of uh self-centeredness mm-hmm. you know like uh the school that i went to everyone's super busy right you know and uh <clears throat> to expect people to be there for me in like these these big moments like i i had this very true expectation like hard wired expectation and that's just setting people up to fail including myself and uh that was it it felt very lonely because i i felt like i didn't have anyone to share it with i didn't know what to do with myself i didn't really believe necessarily that i was going to actually pull off the um the company Mm -hmm. and uh and i ended up i ended up failing with that one we essentially after after I got the money and I was talking to my co-founder about it, how the money was going to be used, I realized we had no chance. 
the main reason we had no chance was not because of our ambitions. It was not because of our vision. It was because we weren't the right team. The team was so important. Like we, A, we were remote. Like he lived in a different state, pretty far away. And B, our personalities and our skill sets didn't really complement each other as well as we thought. Hmm. Um, I feel like it got to the point where I wasn't inspired or invigorated by the person I was doing work with. Yeah. But so, I mean, it, it sounds like it was largely just a result of like the check boxes seemed to line up for synergy and instead it, you became less than the sum of the parts. Yeah. So ultimately like what this event was is that even though I had a co-founder, even though I had achieved this, even though it looked like on paper, everything should have worked, it didn't. And the main reason it didn't is because there was something missing on the team. Yeah. The team is definitely the most important thing. And so after that, I've been super, 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 super picky about who I work with, Mm -hmm. even who I hang out with. And it's because of that experience. So it's probably one of the most important experiences. Yeah. And this is the first like entrepreneurial endeavor that you've had. Okay. Yeah. Official one. The first major. Yeah. Like you. Yeah. The first official one. Rather than. Like, uh. I didn't realize, but when I was in high school, tangential story, when I was in high school, I worked at a donut shop and That's on ironic. Wednesdays. I, I just have to take the Sean walked around to like 4% body fat. You're like the fittest person I think I've ever seen in my life. And, and you oh, worked man. at a donut shop in high school. Yeah, shop. thanks. Thanks for the fitness thing. I've got a long way to go. My fitness <laughs> is kind of falling off the map. But, uh, well, I love that this is like your, like, oh man, I really let myself go on, like creeping up to 6 or 7% body fat. Like, I barely made it through that marathon. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Okay. Which we'll talk about Fair later. Point. Fair point. But uh, sorry so, to, to pull you off track. There. Yeah. High school. So in high school, I worked at the donut shop making donuts at night. And uh, we'd always have to make extra donuts just in case any of them broke and we couldn't fulfill an order. So we'd make extras. <laughs> Oftentimes, those extras would just be thrown out. So I took the extras and I made special donuts out of them and I brought them to school and I started selling them at school. So I was making double, like essentially double money. <laughs> what was really funny was that people really loved the donuts. And so then I was selling, I was selling out of donuts every day and I was selling them for a ridiculous upcharge, not by my <laughs> own, but just market price is that people would offer me money. Like a lot, they'd outbid each other. I just sat there with a, with a tray of donuts and then they're like, I'll give you $20 for the dozen. And I was like, wow, you're going to pay $20 for a dozen donuts over and a dozen day old like recycled potentially defense well no they're the night night before because you, oh, okay. you make right. them Let's you make them at like 11 oh, o'clock for at night. the next day yeah for the next Got day it. okay so these yeah. are fr- these are fr- they're these pretty fresh tip top quality yeah they're the, right. the best the sorry. finest i'm the sorry finest of, uh, of donuts i didn't mean to and assault your uh no, no, no it's okay <laughs> it was so funny yeah so i ended up making up to 40 dollars per dozen donuts <laughs> which is insane <laughs> I can't imagine anyone spending $40 for a dozen donuts, but that's what was happening. So I was making more money selling donuts at school than I was uh, actually making the donuts at the job. Did you get shut down by the administration? I did. Except that it, so what they, what they did, or did I got you bribe pulled aside. Donuts? Well, I pulled them, uh, I got pulled aside by the vice principal and they said, Hey, I really respect what you're doing but no entrepreneurship on campus. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. Not a and, for <laughs> and uh, it was really funny because I had never heard the term entrepreneurship before. <laughs> so I had no idea what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, so you're like, oh, so, I, was, my donuts, so I, I just kept, I just kept doing 
<laughs> and so I was like, yeah, okay, like, sure. I had no clue. And it's like, I didn't know how to spell the word, so I couldn't even look it up. And then I, just, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what he said, so I just kept, I just kept making and selling donuts. Because all so you funny. heard was like, I really respect what you're doing. Don't do this specific thing. Yeah, right? just no, no more of this. And, uh, it's I was an entrepreneurship like, thing. I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, no more or what? And so I was like, I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> nice. So that's that's the seedling of Sean's entrepreneurship, and then the first major like undertaking. Yeah, explicitly working with someone to uh, to try to build this app. Yeah, and and it was an app for it was an app. Yeah, it was an app for the rehabilitation of parole. Yeah, parolees or people who were incarcerated when they get out of prison. Hmm. And was it mostly was it focused around like like connection building or like. Uh, <clears throat> maybe life coaching or, really or life, oh, yeah okay. so it was an app to connect them with like a life coach and uh, the life coach would help them refocus their goals refocus their energy and be uh, put them, like, put them in a positive state and try to break the cycle that like, right sort of yeah so and really help them make sure they don't feel alone mm-hmm. so make sure that they think positively practice good habits you know so that was that was the whole concept uh, we failed because we didn't have the right team uh, the idea itself, I still stand behind, mm-hmm. but we weren't we weren't the right team to do it. No, I don't know if you listen to um, a podcast that's like my life revolves around now, which is the the drive by Peter Tia. I think you do, mm-hmm. but is it maybe semi regularly. Yeah, irregular. I don't. I think this might have been an older one, but or it might be a newer one, but it's just buried by the qualities, which is another thing. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> but um, uh. He did a really, really powerful podcast with a guy named Corey, I want to say. I can't mm. remember his full name, but his story is he basically went to prison for seven years for attempted murder. And the story behind that is it's much like, as I'm sure all stories are, uh, which is like sort of indicative of the problem. There's much more nuance to it and, mm. and things like that. But he got out and he had a lot of really serendipitous events like the... Um, I uh, maybe the parole officer, but whoever he like got out to and like was processing him and like clearing him to to go back into the world or something was someone that he actually knew from adolescence when he was in juvie or or something like that, I believe. And he was really supportive. He was like, just don't let's just stay off drugs and you'll be fine. This will be a breeze. You got this. And he was like, not everyone gets this day. Usually like people get out to an officer that doesn't want to see them, thinks the worst of them, thinks they're like the bottom rung of society. And like, what are they going to do then? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's um, when you you told me about that before and it seemed like such a far away. I think it was on like this. We were walking somewhere in the subway and you, you'd like, oh, it was after glow. Mm. And uh, and we had talked about this. And for me, it was like, it seemed like this really hyper noble, like so distant. Like I had, I had no practical orientation of like, how would that even work? What would you work on? Like I had no confidence in the in the prison system mm, yeah um but like then i listened to that podcast we didn't have a any confidence <laughs> yeah and um and i looked into it, i was like oh wow i can i that's that makes a lot more sense now i had no yeah. idea how deep this all goes yeah um dude it's crazy that industry healthcare and that are both really yeah we're praying for a lot of change yeah and there's it's a big animal to try and get to move in a different direction no kidding yeah but Anyways, anyway, so that so, was that was number one, which is like quite the undertaking. But yeah, so um, the other one, I would say uh, there was this. What was the time horizon you say that that sort of like began and ended on? 
2015, pretty much the entirety of 2015, I'd say. So the next notable app that I had the pleasure of working on was one of my friends founded it. It was called Swipes at CU for Columbia University. Amazing concept. I don't want to, you know, share his story for him, but he came across this kid that was sleeping out of his car because he couldn't afford housing and he was eating like a PB&J sandwich a day, essentially. That was his that was his meal or sometimes he wouldn't eat and couldn't afford food, was barely afford, like could barely live, um, but was doing whatever he could to pay for school because he valued his education that much. My friend recognized that uh, on campus, there's so many meal swipes that go wasted at the end of every semester. And he was thinking that there's a way to repurpose those for people that can't afford meal plans. So therefore, there's less waste and the people that can't eat can. So he started this app. It started doing really well. Um, I jumped on board and uh, I helped with some back end development as well as uh, pitch preparation and uh, I became the COO of the app, which, you know, for apps, everyone has a title. Um, and how long was your, ex- your experience with, uh, software? This one, like coding, coding. I literally, let's see. Have you sort of always done it like as a kid? Or, I did not do it as a kid. I started oh. it. I started it in college. I took some intro classes in Java and that was kind of enough to just get me started. After that, I just use YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is such a phenomenal resource. Yeah. You can pretty much, you can, I mean, that's how I learned how to edit videos is entirely through YouTube. Yeah, same. And uh, same, pretty much, I would say mostly with apps as well. Almost all of it was through YouTube. Hmm. Yeah. So YouTube's a great resource. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, so I joined that team and it was amazing. Because everyone really believed in it. There are a lot of people who are interested in being investors. But it was just really... And we also had a lot of schools around the country reach out asking, when it, when are you going to come to our campus? Mm. And it was very exciting. A lot of people really enjoyed it. It was very altruistic. It adhered to a lot of our values. It appealed to a giving uh, society. And... Ultimately, we determined that it was going to be very difficult to actually turn this into something that we could really grow and scale and profit from. Mm-hmm. It would. Uh, we saw it being a nonprofit, and we didn't really know what to do. And then, um, rightfully so, my friend had another opportunity to be co-founder of another app, and ended up going to through Y Combinator. Sorry, I just spit everywhere. Um, I didn't notice. <laughs> um, Y Combinator, and so uh, he's grown quite a bit. But that experience was great because we just, everything about it was positive except on the inside, like us. Mm -hmm. You know, everything on paper seemed right. On the outside, everything seemed right. We were always taking the right steps. We were doing, like, cranking out iterations and prototypes, getting in front of people. People were using it. We were tracking daily active users, and it was pretty good. But uh, it just wasn't something that we could really scale and find a way to make money off of. The school wasn't going to give us money. Mm-hmm. We'd entirely be dependent on funding. Like uh, we'd always depend on donations and stuff. So there was no way for us to really, I don't know. We didn't at least, uh, I can't say that there's no way, but we didn't come up with a way. In time. In time. Gotcha. So 
that's what happened there. Um, I had, I went through this program called uh, the Lean Launchpad. is run by this guy named Steve Blank. He was a mentor, I believe, to Eric Reese. And he runs this program out of NYU, Stanford, and Columbia. I believe a couple other schools, but I don't know which ones. And it's a it's a extremely intense course. Um, and you have, it's like a week long, full immersion. You spend the full day doing work. And then after, after class, you go out and you just start hustling super hard, trying to get your, uh, trying to do user interviews. By the end of it, we interviewed a hundred people. Do you bring your own project to it? Yeah. So you pitch, you pitch your product. Yeah. You pitch your project, you get accepted into the class. And then once you're accepted into the class, you go through an entire process of how to start and how to go through this customer discovery phase. And I thought it was fascinating, really looking at and uh, being truthful with yourself. It's like a scorecard. So you look at what things are, what things do I believe now? And how can I prove whether that's true or not? The whole point of this is to show that you can figure out very quickly whether or not your startup has any legs or whether you need to pivot. That was pretty cool. And, and so that launched, was... yeah, so that launched My Jams. So My Jams was an app for musicians. Originally, it was for musicians on campus to help build community so people could jam together, just like meet up, grab the guitars or whatever instruments they were playing and just play music together. That was the whole concept. What we found was that people didn't really want that. It was only a few people, and uh, that was it. So it was like, okay. And the challenge, we, f- we pretty much figured that out in a day. And then the challenge from Steve was to figure out, okay, how are you going to take your idea, change it, iterate it, and make it something that's, that people want? So we started talking to a lot of musicians. We found that the number one issue was they were spending too much time trying to book gigs. So we're like, okay, let's explore this. So we started going into venues, asking them, like, okay, how do you book gigs? And some of them had like an eight-man team working 40 hours a week to do the same thing over and over and over. And we recognize there's a pattern here. It's the exact same stuff happening over and over and over. We think we can automate this. If it's something that is like automatable, which it was, everything was either done through email, then put on a calendar, and they're just doing the same kind of stuff to qualify leads or essentially bands. We thought that it's like, okay, it sounds like a dating app. You know, they're just, they're dating, matching bands to, to pay. And when you say there were teams at like these venues or restaurants or whatever it may have been working full time to yeah. book and rebook, what was that mostly on discovery of new bands and vetting them and getting them in the door. Yeah. A lot of, um, cause I remember the problem that you told me that this ultimately had yeah. and the reason why you exited, but yeah. Um, just as a hypothetical, what would like one of the, the problemed businesses look like with that eight person team and 40 hours a week going into it? Oh, it's just, it's a big expense hmm. and it takes a long, it does, it shouldn't really take that long to book a band, especially if it's the same band or if you're doing it for the same type of show, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you're just doing the same of It's It's the big inefficiency is redundancy. Mm-hmm. Everything about it was redundant. And that's where we saw, it's like, okay, we could save you a lot of money by not having to hire eight people. You could just use our app instead. So that's what we were hoping for. Uh, didn't really work out that way. Okay. What we found is that there's too many, just too few of those types of venues for one. 
And New York is a very unique market. New York, starting in New York was probably dangerous for us because in this market in particular, the bands frequently undercut each other. And so they so go they into each other down for yeah, gigs. Exactly. Okay. So like one band will walk in and say, I'll, I'll only charge 50 bucks. Um, you pay me 50 bucks plus a percentage of the door sales and I'll bring X number of people. Let's say 20. Then someone else walks in after and say for like Thursday night at seven. Mm-hmm. Then someone else walks in after and is like, I'll, I'll do it for free. I'll bring 20 people and I want the same door percentage sales. of the door sales. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, like whatever. Great. Yeah. I don't have to pay you. Great deal. And then they keep undercutting. Now when someone goes back, it's like, I'll charge you $20 for me to play here. Like, why would I pay you 20 bucks when I can get someone for free? Mm-hmm. And so then that's what happened. Now most people have to play gigs for free and hope that they can either make money off CD sales or door sales. But the tricky thing is, it's like there's so many complications in this because if they didn't bring enough people, they're not welcome back, all these things. So the uh, the market itself was very, I want to say, damaged. The, the value of having live music was uh, drastically decreased because artists became so desperate mm-hmm. and started undercutting each other. And then DJs become more and more like yep. everyone can be a DJ with a laptop now. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what happened. And so getting into smaller venues, which we really wanted to do, um, was, was becoming impossible. Uh, so we were like, okay, the only way to do it is we don't charge. But once we started doing that, we started booking gigs. I kid you not, the first one that we did, the first one, the first one that we booked, we did everything. Everything was planned. How long is this from the inception of my jams? Oh, <laughs> uh, like a, like a couple, maybe a couple months. Let's see. Started in January. Our first gig was like March third, or maybe we had a we did jam sessions in February. Okay, to and see. that was the pivot. That was yeah. the day that you found out you needed to pivot. So yeah, more or less. We, we were still exploring. We were kind of in the middle. We were exploring both. But <clears throat> anyways, so March, early March, we do this event. We're seeing it and it goes great. There's a lot of people there. People are really excited. People love the music. We had a great lineup. The problem was we got circumvented immediately. Now they exchanged con- they exchanged contact info and we were out. So we're like, okay, we were hoping to have a cut here. Uh, we didn't even say that they had to pay. We even said that this was going to be free because we're just we're testing it out. Mm-hmm. And we automatically got cut out. We're like, okay, we're so the restaurant contacts the band after the show. Like, yeah. great, love you. Let's yeah. just let's keep in contact. Yeah, exactly. And- so we're like, okay, like this is good to know. So we, <laughs> we tried to you know keep it going for a bit. <clears throat> And so the the main downfall then, because like presumably they would have been going through the same process to book people before and the quality was just lower right. of what they were landing on. Right. So the the like the, the vice of the entire model was the fact that you were actually really effective at picking good talent for the venue. Right. Sick. Once. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was the key thing is that the, uh, the life cycle of our a user was really just one use after that they're gone mm-hmm. you know and we don't know for how long it could be forever or maybe they come back once a year or so right but that was it and a lot of musicians were we found were desperate for a residency so finding a consistent place where they can play and guarantee that they're going to be there every thursday night at 7 p.m mm-hmm. 
So once they got that, they didn't need us anymore. You know, there we were hoping for the ambitious, like we want to be, we want to be rock stars and be playing as many gigs as we can. And that's actually not, that's not as many people as we thought. So it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, We tried a bunch of different things around it to make it work. And then ultimately we came to the decision to say that it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work at least not with us. Yeah. So it wasn't a project for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the, um, close the doors. Yeah. Were there any specific sort of like last vestiges of hope that you were like, maybe we could monetize you this way. Maybe there's this thing. Yeah. We we tried a lot of different things. Actually, we tried switching entirely to like bartenders. Huh? Yeah. We were like, okay, let's just try bartenders. Um, we got that idea because of banquets and, uh, Let's Did see. you tell me about that too? Was it was it like a bartender subbing sort of thing? So it wasn't yeah, like the exactly. High, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you sub you sub the bartender because we found that bartenders typically um, have pretty tough schedules, no flexibility, or sometimes they need another one or whatever. And it was kind of like an Airbnb, but for bartenders, mm. um, and just like getting people jobs. That was the idea. And also we wanted to train people how to be bartenders. So then uh, people could work when they couldn't before and have still a lot of flexibility so they could travel and work. So if they went, if they knew they were going to be in Florida for a week and they wanted to make some money, they could go on the app and say that they're this bar, they're a bartender or whatever, and they can get a job there. Hmm. So that was the concept. It was a cool concept. Were you testing this at the same time as the like sort of discovery of the other issue? Yeah. So pretty much around March or yeah, April maybe. Yeah. Um, well, no, oh. because so the timeline isn't that short. It's much longer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We we started we once once that first event happened, we started trying to figure it out. Oh, okay. And, and then we spent just... a long time trying to figure it out. Gotcha. So it actually wasn't until like January when we actually made the switch to the bartenders. Mm. So, oh, so you like made we spent a full year of this. Yeah. We okay. Did, yeah. It was about, yeah, it was about a full year. Well, so just to I recap guess, then, 2015 is the um, rehabilitation project yeah. that lasts for about a year. Mm. Into 2016, you do swipes that last for about a year? So I actually started uh, swipes when I was also doing the Pearl thing. So I was doing them both. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then did one overlap the other? Did they kind of end at the same time? No, they're they're pretty separate, actually. Um, I was on a crazy sleep schedule that... I do not recommend. Was it called not asleep? <laughs> yeah. Well, Were you like regimenting an all, an all nighter per night? Or yeah, per pretty much or it was. Yeah. So I would go to sleep at 5 p.m. and wake up. Oh, no, no, no. I'd go to sleep at 5.30 p.m. every day and wake up at 7 p.m. Then I'd be up from 7 p.m. till 5 a.m. And then I would sleep from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and get up and go to class. And then uh, and I did that every day. So during the day, I do homework. And at night, it was very separate. So at night, I would do like the app work mm-hmm. and or event planning. Like I did a lot of event planning. How well. long did that last before you just had like? I did it for six months. Six months. Yeah. And then what? How, what were the like stretches of time you'd make it before you just like die for a day? Um, I didn't really die for a day. Oh, so actually. you like? I guess yeah. if 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 you're really really like stringent and on top of that scheduling, like it's. Yeah. You can make it for six months, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I didn't really feel that tired. I had a lot going on that I was really excited about. So mm-hmm. that was the main thing. Like the main yeah. driver was that I was just so excited. Yeah. So 
No, that's it. That's interesting. I I didn't do that. That's that's pretty insane. Mine was and mine wasn't for like that many projects. But um, last summer, when you remember, I was trying to do the weekly journal like yeah. every Monday or every Tuesday. I don't know why I picked Tuesday. I think I just tried to pick Tuesday because it was less saturated of an upload day. Mm. Like it mattered when you're uploading 30 minute, barely edited vlogs, but, um, but I'd upload every Tuesday. And so my sleep thing that I thought was like totally sustainable for some reason, this is before I got into Matthew Walker's stuff, um, was I'd, I'd just like take a Vyvanse and a Bang Energy, which is 300 milligrams of caffeine or maybe two Bulletproof coffees, which is around the same. Yeah. And then just pull an all nighter every Monday night. Mm. And then sleep for however long I needed on Tuesday and then try to survive the rest of the week and then all night on Monday night. Wow. Turns out, you know, crazy. Um, doesn't work for very long. Mm. And it's got quite a quite a thick brick wall at the end of it that you hit. Mm. But four hours split. So 5.30 to 8? 5 to 8 p.m.? No, no, no. 5.30 to 7, yeah. 5.30 to 7. Was that because it was an hour and a half? Yeah. I only slept in hour and a half intervals. Nice. So I did that hour and a half, and then I did two, so three hours uh, in the morning, and I figured that was enough. At the end of that, did you know any effects, like, sort of mentally? Mm. Or were you just into the next project so fast that it was... Yeah, I, I never really took time to settle down and really analyze, I guess. Fair enough. Mm. Huh. Yeah, I don't recommend it, though, because I'm sure there's a yeah, lot obviously. of things that... Uh, there's a lot of things that I feel like I didn't notice. I probably was not my best version of myself during oh, the time. Oh, like behaviors that might yeah, have slipped behaviors. in. I was going to the gym every day. So I was Absolutely. working out every day, which is good. I was pretty fit. I was getting fit. Did you ever get blood panels done? No. No, I don't. I need oh, to. It would have been really interesting to see your testosterone. Yeah, time. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least I didn't then. I have been recently. Mm. But... But we digress. Yeah. Okay. So 2015. Yeah, 2015. First startup. You sort of overlap that, not in relevance, but like in working time Mm -hmm. with school and swipes. Yeah. And when does swipes come to an end? uh, April. April. April or no, 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 no. no. I think I actually don't really remember the exact date. It was a bunch of years ago. Did it sort of like fizzle out as you were starting my jams, or did? Do you take maybe your break before my jam? What year was my jams? Um, it my jams ended in uh, twenty seventeen before like April twenty seventeen officially. So it was, like it was that, that was when, like we handed we handed everything off to the this guy that yeah. wanted to do the same thing. And you guys exited right? Like, let's not let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but we well, didn't we didn't lose money. You didn't lose your ass, which yeah. is like more impressive than most especially after realizing like that and still being able to yeah i yeah i just yeah let's let's just let's just make it very clear startups are so romanticized right now yeah and they have been for years it's not just right now you know um no so like you know i read the um the launchpad book about y combinator oh really so that was my perception of like the current state of silicon Uh valley and that was like 2011 or something yeah i went to atlanta and i went to a, a pitch event and there was someone that had been funded by a seed fund in Silicon Valley and they were pitching their like, uh, like online free banking sort of thing like that. Mm. And we got talking about Silicon Valley and the, the like seed round, I thought a seed round was like $30,000 to $70,000. So I'm talking to this person, they're like $300,000 yeah. is like seed, kind seeds. of a seed round now. And I'm like, yeah, what? it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a lot of times it's north of 500. That's insane. Yeah, five hundred from uh, recent 
talks, it sounds like 500 is on the low end. Mm. But also depends on what you're doing. Yeah, true. But that's anyways. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I'm I've, I'm becoming even more careful about how I say how that project ended. Yeah. Because well, uh, it's just like a lot of people that I know, especially having been around the community that you know. I, that you sort of fall into as like an Instagrammer in New York. Yeah. Um, with certain like startups and like I don't really like, you know, my project, my hesitation to call it like a startup and it, that's yeah. probably not a healthy thing because everyone starts somewhere, but like, right. I'm just very, oh, I think I'm in the same boat where it's like, I want to be very hesitant because there's a lot of hype that maybe shouldn't be placed in certain places and a lot yeah. of group think happening as a result of that. Yeah. I will say though, the number one thing with startup, if you're going to give up, if you're going to give up, don't give up yet in the sense of find a way to get out of it so that you don't lose money. Yeah. There's always a way. The one thing that you told yeah. me that really stuck out, I, this might've been all the way to last fall or something was like, whatever you made, has value to it right like the intellectual property the whatever like there's something there's something there. yeah even if it means you have to be a consultant just to transfer shit over or whatever mm-hmm. stuff excuse me like uh <laughs> if um there's always a way to use what you learned and to get your money back whatever you put into it you can get back mm-hmm. so uh, i i believe that i really wholeheartedly believe that and there's someone that's willing to pay for it this is you gotta find that person and that's that's where, you know, if you're going to give up on pushing the startup, don't give up on this until you get your money back. And then, you know, it, when you, you feel like it was a lesson that you got so much value out of, you not only learned how to do something, create something, learn what not to do, but then you also learned how to sell what you know. Mm-hmm. And that is so valuable. Yeah. And it's also sort of like it, it puts in a safeguard to where if you were in it for the right reasons, you mm-hmm. have that contingency. Whereas if you weren't and you didn't learn anything and you like, were particularly salesy about it over actually trying to build something. Yeah. You won't have any of those lessons that you can recoup the value from. Yeah. And also when you say money back, did you uh, bootstrap my jams or? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't, we did have, um, we did have some offers for funding, mm-hmm. but we didn't take them. They weren't like, they just, it didn't make sense. We, we had a gut feeling that it was not the right deal. Hmm. Yeah, we, we, uh, I can't say names, but there was a guy that offered us a good portion of money to, um, essentially be part of his portfolio. We wanted to do our due diligence and talk to other startups that he had funded and he, that he was raving about. It was like, oh, we'd love to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it took forever to get connected to one of them. And when we talked to one of them, it was, it was not, not what we thought it would be. Wasn't and what you were so, looking for, right? Exactly. Like they, it, it kind of sounded like a bad. It sounded like a bad relationship, hmm. and or just not one, maybe. Because I would imagine, like you guys in your position, very like learn, iterate, build a thing. We're probably looking for a really strategic investor. Yeah, but he was an active investor, which was the problem. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Fair enough. So he was he was heavily involved with leverage. And gotcha. at that point, I mean, at such an early stage, the guys that we talked to it essentially felt like they had already lost their company. Mm. Yeah, so, that's not that's not the best. Yeah. 
So not yeah, it's not what you want. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't we didn't do it. Um, yeah, maybe could have been. It. Maybe couldn't have been. We'll never know. But yeah, I'm glad I didn't though, man. I know I know for sure that that guy probably would have driven me nuts. <laughs> We ripped out a lot of hairs for sure. Yeah, especially because you you're a very autonomous person. You don't seem to like being uh, subjected to other people's wills for the sake of being subordinate. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true. I have to think about that a little bit more yeah. and really kind of understand what that really means. Yeah. Well, no, it's not to say that you're not cooperative. I think it's just like if you think someone is like trying to press you into something for the sake of them. Like being, oh, look what I can make this person do. Like, you're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But um, um, so, yeah, that was that was an interesting experience. Um, I think now uh, I know we've, we've talked a lot so far. Hmm. We got time. I, I think <laughs> I think this is this is where it's going to get interesting. OK, so um, after after our attempt at having a startup called My Jams. Um, I used some of the money that I made. I bought a video camera and I went to China. Basically, my goal after after a year of being out of school, after trying to work on a startup and struggling, um, I used the money that I had and I wanted to put myself in the most uncomfortable position I could possibly think of. I knew that no matter what, the more uncomfortable you are, the faster you're going to grow. So I was like, how can I throw myself in the fire and see what happens? I was thinking about going to Spain because I heard that in some parts of Spain, in rural parts of Spain, there's absolutely zero chance of you being able to speak any English whatsoever. And I obviously don't speak Spanish. Actually, English is really the only language I speak. And I was thinking about that. I was on the subway. I was meeting up with people in Chinatown. I'm on the subway and I see this this poster in Spanish. And I'm looking at it. I'm staring at it. I'm like, okay, I can kind of like pick out what's going on and okay i i understand what it's saying you know it's like be safe don't jump on the tracks got it okay <laughs> so um and so i get out i was like okay like i feel good i feel good about going to spain and it was like maybe a month before i, I was planning on leaving I hadn't really booked anything yet but um i had a bunch of things in the works and i'm in chinatown and i'm looking at all these signs in chinese i'm like holy crap it's all chinese to me it's like it's like like, fair enough i was like i i when i look at these signs and their characters i have no freaking clue what any of that says i was like i need to go to china i know i know i'm a terrible person for ending it there but there is more to come the best is yet to come as i'm sure you can imagine he did just so you know actually end up going to china because he's sean and he just sort of does shit like that um and we talk about it in the second installment of this episode of the sparkle podcast which i'm very excited to release shortly so keep an eye out on the channels that you found this through and you should see it in no time so i hope this is a highlight of your morning lunch car ride subway ride whatever the case may be and thank you all always for making it this far and yeah uh love peace and chicken grease have a great day Should your attention span want it, I will see you in China in the next episode. Installment of the episode. This is the same episode. One episode, two installments, second installment of the same episode. The one episode. That's the one. Okay, just got to clear that up. Bye.